You know, last week we talked about, nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. And I think about uh, the, the hymn I heard at Hanley Assembly of God in the Midlands of England, the Pottery District of England in 1980, when uh, Patsy and I graduated from Bible school and we intended to actually transplant over there in the Liverpool, uh, Stoke-on-Trent kind of area of Midlands, kind of like the, the, the Missouri of, of, of England, and reach out to Wales, and reach out to London, and reach out to Paris, and go to the nations, you know. It's what we had aspired to, and we still do aspire to the nations. But God wanted us to come back to this nation. God wanted us to plant and give our lifespan to this part of the world, and uh, for such a time as this. And uh, I, I, just, I just think about what the Lord is doing, and I think about the song I heard standing next to Pastor Peter Johnson. He's about a head taller than me, and he had big, long legs, you know. He, he kind of looked like um, Bert on uh, Mary Poppins. You know how Dick, Dick Van Dyke had those super long, bony legs? Well, Peter Johnson's legs came up about to here on me, and he had, these, he had this nice, you know, suit, pastor suit, and he was going, on Christ the solid rock I stand. And, you know, I came from the Jesus movement where I thought, you know, the music culture and everything was just so awesome. But then I came into this encounter with these guys in the heartland of England using hymns the same way we were singing the choruses we had. And I realized, oh, God's moving all over the place everywhere through all kinds of expressions and by all kinds of means. He's bigger than I thought. He's more vast than I thought. He's more faceted than I thought. He's amazing. God just expanded my vision. And I stood there and thought, amen, you know. I had never heard that hymn before. And uh, it, it's, it stuck with me in that moment. You know, it's funny, in a, in a worship service, uh, I don't remember if I was the guest speaker there or not. I think I was just visiting. I don't even remember in that particular meeting. But I do remember that part of the worship. And it's funny about com coming together and connecting in physical church. God may just want to use one little facet. He may use more than one. But it, 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 just in case, uh, you know, just be ready for God to slip something up on you to give you this day his daily bread, whatever your need is. Jesus is the bread of life. So some element of the uplift of Jesus uh, coming into your world, he is the chief cornerstone. He's the rock of our salvation. He is the foundation of this whole thing. This is why we're Christians. You know why I'm a Christian? Because of Christ. You know the best part of my Christian life? Jesus. You know what the most fun I'm having as a pastor? Following God and being a Christian. You know what I really like? I was a Christian before I was called to be a pastor. And when, when there's no more need for apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, I'm going to be in heaven standing with you guys being a Christian with the clouds and the, and the angels and the righteous guys and the robes and the guys with the eyes all around their heads. And it's going to be, oh, yeah, this is, a, this is, uh, yeah, this is awesome. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, you know. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, be no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Through, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And I want to be like the Apostle Paul and be able to say like he did in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, at the end of his life, because he never gave up, he never uh, gave in, he didn't... Despite the shipwrecks, the beatings, the
the disloyalty from so-called friends and so forth. He fought the good fight. He finished the course. He kept the faith. Can we say that together? I have fought the good fight. We'll say it all together. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And look what it says after this. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to everybody at St. Louis Family Church that keeps pressing on loving Jesus and never gives up. I paraphrase that. In the last service, there was a little 11-year-old girl that's gone through some issues, health issues. And she had a little smiley face on her, on her winter cap. And I said, I love your smiling face. And she thought I meant the smiley face on her hat. I actually didn't even notice it. I noticed her actual face. I said, no, not your smiley face on your hat, your smiley face on your face. Oh, okay. I said, you have two smiley faces. We had this little conversation. But what I really liked about her is that she's fought the good fight. She's, she's pressing on. She's in faith. She's not in self-pity. She had a twinkle in her eye, and she's been through some battle. And I stand at attention at a little 11-year-old girl's faith, and I know what it, the outcome will be. Because uh, if we don't grow weary in well-doing, Galatians 6, 9, Paul told the Galatians that we will reap if we do not lose heart or faint. And the very fact that he said uh, about losing heart or growing weary implies that that's a possibility. And in Isaiah 40, it says even young men stumble badly, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. And I love the verse. Well, he'll supplement us when we're doing good or when we're not doing so good. He gives power to the faint. It's one of my favorite verses. Everybody say power to the faint. He said to those who lack might, he increases power. A lot of people in this dog-eat-dog world start retreating from people that are going through a hard time, but our God runs toward us. He's near the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He cares about us. He sees a fan, the flame going out, and he'll fan the flame. A smoldering wick he will not put out. He sees it smoldering. He doesn't go, oh, that's annoying, that's stinky and obnoxious. No, he goes, no, there's potential for that to be on fire again. There's potential for that to provide light again. There's potential for that to get up to a full blaze again. I've, had, I've been building fires this, uh, this, this, this winter, and I, I, I built a fire that was, was going out. We, we came back from church, and there was a little bit of ember in it. I threw another log on it. I stirred it up a little bit, and there it lit. I just got to sit there for about 10 minutes and get a little bit more of the fire. I believe the Holy Spirit does that for the church. In the early church, he distributed fire on everybody's head in the upper room. And guess what? Our God is a consuming fire. And he is, even through this global pandemic, even through all the issues of education, all the division we've seen uh, reignite in society, all the upsets, the, 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 the gas prices, all the variables that are, we, we, let's face it, they're challenges galore, yet we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And ours is a practical faith because this gives us massive confidence in the midst of uncertainty. This gives us Huge biblical hope in the midst of baseless optimism. And in in, in, in we have a leader who's honest in the midst of all kinds of dishonesty. We have a faithful shepherd. He's the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And he wants us to understand 
the reward system. Like Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I kept their faith. He said, there's laid up for me a crown. Not just for me, but for everybody else who does this. That little 11-year-old's right in the mix. You, just showing up today, whatever you're going through, if you've got a particular level of apathy going in your life, Jesus can cure your backsliding. If you've got a sin pattern and you're concerned and you're repentant, just the slightest bit of repentance, that's mercy. God's kindness leads you to repentance. Act on it. Trust God to help you. He'll get you out of a ditch. Addiction. He'll help you to get to the other side. He'll help you to see that there's something on the other side of all this darkness that makes it worth you pressing on. I'm teaching on foundational truth on the Sunday mornings. I'm not bothered by the whims of society. They come and they go, all the attitudes, all the, ad, all the craziness. It was happening during ancient Egypt with Moses. It was happening during the time of Jesus and the Roman Empire. It's, it's happened all throughout society. The world's messed up. It's a fallen world. But we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Malachi chapter 3, he says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, will not be consumed. In Hebrews, he says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here we jump in in our particular lifespan, here 2,000 years later, and we get in on the solid foundation of the chief cornerstone. Jesus, the rock of ages. Jesus, the solid footing. Jesus, the one that bears into our lives and gives us strength the one that gives us solidity, the one that is our champion, the one who has, has, has a plan and a purpose uh, the, in the end of the age that he will activate and deploy a glorious church without spot or blemish, covered and washed by the blood of Jesus. Like Addison said during the offering the, in Isaiah 43, behold, he makes all things new. He makes a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. He, he, I talked to a guy who abruptly got fired two days before Thanksgiving. The, the, the enticement of a terrific bonus was plucked completely away from his, no option. He was the highest producer in the company. It's kind of inexplicable how he and his team got dumped. As I was praying for him, he's a tither. I said, listen, God will rebuke the devourer for you. I went to prayer for him as his pastor. I said, listen, somehow God has delivered you from a bad situation. That's the sense I had in my spirit. I didn't want to be glib. I didn't want to make something up and just sort of put a Band-Aid on it. I wanted, that was what the Lord actually showed me. I had a sense about it. I said, I don't know what it is. And he said, well, I could see some things of what God would have delivered me from. Then he came back and he signed a contract for something uh, 110%. It's like it's better than it was. And, and, and he said, but I refuse. I'm, I'm going to tithe through this no matter what. And he did. And I just think about this 11-year-old coming through this health issue. I think about this man two days before Thanksgiving. How mean is the devil? And, and it just suck, sucker punched. And yet, you know, this is where we, 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 we benefit from the faithfulness of God. We sing, great is your faithfulness. And we're, you know, looking at our watch and singing, when is this song going to be over? No, great is your faithfulness. And, and that chorus, you've been good to me. You've been, you've been faithful to me. We've been, we've, we've been steadied by his mercy. I go to a church where we had a stupid flood and the 10 feet of water in the building. I, I just, Friday night, we just prayed and God mercifully delivered us from a, from a storm. Did I show this service, the picture from Joe Kowalik's uh, uh, phone did I show you that already? 
where the, 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 the waters parted, the, air, the, the, the storm parted. I serve a big God. I serve a big God. And, and, and I want you to go to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, and I want you to read verse 23. I was meditating on Colossians. I was playing Alexander Scorby. I felt led to listen to all four chapters of Colossians. But when I was listening to Colossians for personal edification, this verse came up for this meeting and for you today. And I wrote it down, and I feel so compelled to share it. Colossians 1.23, it says, If indeed you continue in the faith, continue in the faith, say continue. There's virtue and value in continuing. If you indeed continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel. There are people who have cheapened the ideals of the faith by writing books to undermine people's faith. There were people in the New Testament that that disrupted people, entered into households, said the resurrection already happened to try to disrupt people's faith in the Bible. And in modern time, I remember right over there, a girl who's married a guy who was a youth leader. He read one of these books from one of these militant atheist uh, uh, perspectives, and it caused him to shift and run away from his faith, throw away his faith, and it disrupted his, he stopped ministry, disrupted his marriage, it disrupted everything in his life. It's haunting how deeply disruptive that conclusion can be for him. It's terrible. But he says that if indeed we continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast. Lester Sumrall spoke to me in the 90s, maybe the 80s. And he, he talked out of that verse, 2 Timothy, that I read. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. He was alarmed that at his season of ministry... He saw people that had started that backed off. I remember Billy Graham. Billy Graham started with another gentleman. He said he actually had a better gift at preaching, better oratory skills, a greater grasp, I think, on grammar and more scripture. And he said, yet he veered away. And Billy Graham was actually sad because he saw the potential of that person. And I even actually saw an interview of him, and he was dismissive and had gone into this sort of atheistic, agnostic, uh, uh, dull cloud of living. But this is, is, is hardcore directive from the throne. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, that you, may, you have heard which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which Paul said, I was made a minister. Paul the apostle never gave up despite all the troubles. He stayed with it. He fought the good fight. He finished the course. What a testimony from an old warrior. He was able to write about his trials, be honest about it, and he said, yet in spite of it, God helped me to never give up. And you and I, we can say the same thing. Faithful is he who calls you, he'll also bring it to pass. Whatever's going on in your life, the fact that you've showed up today indicates that the good shepherd has taken you by the hand and is walking you through. And even if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you fear no evil. Why? Because God is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. And he is with you to the end. He said, lo, I'm with you always. 
even to the end of the age. He's even with us when we're in trouble. He's even with us when we fail. He's even with us, and he's there for us even when we sin. David showed that in Psalm 51. He ran toward God and said, God, I'm a lousy mess, but you're a good God, and I repent. And God just mercifully washed him white as snow. He said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Now, that has happened in the new creation. Jesus has made all things new. He's made us a new creation. We're accepted in the beloved. This is the good news. I want to admonish you to, to keep, to hold to, to cherish. The best part of your life is your Christianity. I was sitting on the platform with uh, Peter Vandenberg and Reinhard Bonnke in one of these great lavish meetings in Nigeria a few years ago. And there were oceans of people. I'm a big fan of Woodstock. I, I, I've shared the story that when I was 13 years old, I told my dad that Tony and I were going to hitchhike from Los Angeles to New York and go to Woodstock. And thank God my dad, who was pretty liberal, at that point got a little strict and said no. Thank God. I'd, I'd still be at Max Yasker's farm, probably tending to the hogs or something with a pair of pair of overalls and a long braids, you know. Would look like Willie Nelson or something. But, but when I was in Nigeria, the crowd was actually bigger than Woodstock. And it was, it made me feel like this is what I hope heaven is like. Oceans and oceans and oceans of people of the redeemed. And I, and I hope that, that hell has vacant spaces and that heaven is occupied. Heaven is full, hell is empty. I want to make vacant spaces in the lake of fire. That's why I'm preaching what I'm preaching. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's why I'm exhorting you. This stupid book that undermined this young man. Uh, I'm not happy about that. The, the wife, you could just feel the grief on her. And there's nothing I could do about it. I looked at her. I just thought he was gone. I picked him right off. You continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast. Don't get bitter. Don't shrink back. Don't water it down. Be on fire. Don't be a religious fanatic either. Just love Jesus. Don't be a weirdo. God's not advocating that we be super hyper freaks in church. He wants us to be approachable. He wants us to be real. He wants the anointing to be tangible. He wants the gifts to, to be practical and relevant. He wants to bridge into a lost and dying world. He doesn't want us to be an esoteric, isolated bunch of elitist weirdos that act hyper-religious and get all quivery and freaky because we have undiagnosed mental illness that we're unwilling to change from. I've seen so much of this as a, as a pastor. That's interesting, isn't it? But on the other hand, God doesn't want us to be cold, wet, watered down apathetically. He wants us to be on fire. But what is on fire? Does on fire mean we flail and we, and we wiggle and where people come in and they get freaked out and never want to go to church again? God wants us to be, uh, make an appeal through us. Uh, and, that, and, and that which is appealing, uh, it doesn't mean we try to be so dignified in the, in the flesh. It just means uh, we, we, we want to make sure our lives adorn the gospel. We want to make sure that we're picking the, the, our fights and we're, 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 we're championing the right causes and we're, we're all about the Father's business. Am I making sense to you? And we're peeling back all the things trying to coat and, and, and hinder us. And, and, and we're trying to, we're trusting God that he'll help us to emerge, you know, out of the, out of the, 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 the layering of darkness that's trying to encroach upon us. The Bible says light excels darkness. 
when all the Babylonian darkness tried to encroach on Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these Hebrew guys that were displaced from their home, that had all their clothing changed, their names changed, except for Daniel, they had their identity changed, their haircuts were different, the food was different, the region they lived in, but yet they kept their eyes above, they kept their eyes on God. And as they kept their eyes above and they kept their eyes on God, that, that wonderfulness of God's presence came into their situation. And even in the Babylonian weirdness and the captivity, they became assets in their setting. They, became, they fostered life and light. And, and in fact, God gave Daniel such revelation not only for his Jewish people, not only for his time frame, but also even for the church. He showed him things to come that transcended even not only his Jewish context, but even also the church age. And he said, God, what's all that about? He said, just go your way, Daniel. It's not for you to know. And he said, okay. And he lived and died in obedience. Paul lived and died in obedience. And here we're talking about him today. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of God. I want to read something to you from Hebrews now. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and verse 1. I'm going to read it from the Message Bible. I don't have a whole lot of time to share with you, but I have a a good word. And it's basically uh, about foundation, about solidity. You know, I'm glad our church is nestled in Chesterfield Valley. I'm glad that we're butted up to Long Road there and Edison Road there and Chesterfield Airport Road there, Highway 40 just over there, the bluffs here in Chesterfield, the bluffs over there in St. Charles, a big, beautiful Missouri River. I'm happy that we're nestled in the heart of the heartland. Not too many miles away is the very center of population of the entire country. We live literally in the heartland, and God has prophesied to us he wants to do something great through this church, that it would flower like a tree, 1994, Dick Mills prophesied some things to me and to our church. It's, they're coming to pass so succinctly. It's wonderful. In 1999, Pastor Wendell Smith from Seattle, Washington, came and prophesied right out of this very building. In 1993, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, prophesied to me right here. When a Presbyterian prophesies to you, you better listen. <laughs> and, uh, and those things are all coming to pass. Pentecostal leader Kenneth Hagin, he prophesied right over there about what God was going to do in our church. And I'm telling you, it's coming to pass. Here's what Presbyterian pastor Eugene Peterson wrote before he died in the Message Bible. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We'll put it up on the screen so you could read along in the Message Bible. You know, the New American says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. But it says here, do you see what this means? It's talking about Hebrews 11 and all the, the people who, the past predecessors of the faith who fought the good fight of faith. All these pioneers who blazed the way. All these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Study how he did it. That's what we do week in, week out here. We study how Jesus did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. 
he could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again and 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 again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility that he, Jesus, plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. So this 11-year-old who's come through this battle, Dela, who stood her ground in faith at a significant battle years ago as a young person. Uh, Marilyn, whose sweet husband has passed, and she's working through that as she goes through the holiday. You know, this is church. Such is life. This is where we stand. And uh, we stand on, it's what we stand on that means everything. Yeah. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Jesus, there's salvation and no other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And while I was in Africa and Peter Vandenberg was sitting there, I said, man, this is amazing, Peter. Peter was from Rhodesia, which became Zimbabwe. Evangeline was from South Africa. They were dear, committed Christians. And he turned to me and he said something to me I want to say to you. He said, I, I said, this is just amazing. You know, this ocean of people. I mean, they, they walked for days to get there. You know, the economics of Nigeria in the very center of Nigeria, uh, you know, is fairly impoverished, you know. But he looked over at me. Peter said, the people here really appreciate their Christianity. When he said that, I just felt a flush of God as, as, as a person in one of the richest countries in the world you know, with so much benefit, I just, it, I, it just realigned my value system. And I, I, I thought, God, I don't want any gods before you. I, I want to appreciate my Christianity. Don't you appreciate Jesus? Don't you want to fall in love with him and, and, and serve him and walk with him? And I hope you bear with me as I clarify, because we're coming into a revival in our church where the fire of God is going to flow on such an amazing series of ways. And the Lord's done a terrific thing for me as a pastor because he's singled out folks whose hearts weren't committed and he's moved them on. And now the Lord is causing identification with the people whose hearts God has touched. And that helps in leadership to know who's with you and who's among you and who's for you. But it also helps to know that there's an electromagnetic switch that God's about to pull to touch the world. I love electromagnetism. I love magnets. When I was a little kid in California, I got one of those horseshoe magnets like so many people, and I went down to the beach, and I would run the, the magnet through the sand, and lo and behold, there would be little micro shards of metal. Has anybody ever done that? I love that. It was one of the big geek things I did. And um, I love magnetism. I... I saw my wife at church, and there was an electromagnetic thing going there, and it's, it's still, it could pick up an aircraft carrier. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's, oh yeah, yeah, no man, you have no idea. Like, I can't even look over there right now. It's just this supernatural, I mean, man, you know. 
and all my grandkids, she's their favorite and all that stuff. It's like I, I just kind of watch them. I, I get in there. The, uh, the, one of my little grandkids was in there with her, and he pushed his hand away to make sure I get away so he could have undivided <laughs> attention. I need, I need therapy. I need some counseling. But I get it, though. I understand it because I feel the same way. But all the more I feel that way with Jesus. And my son-in-law, Steve Kowalik, looked up in the dictionary in prayer. I got this, that this, we're coming into a magnetic juncture of divine happenings. We're coming into a place where that electromagnetic switch is about to be turned. That's why God is removing short circuitry, bad attitudes, or other agendas, people that just aren't happy. And he's bringing us into the kingdom for such a time as this. And here's what he said about the definition of magnetism. When atoms align themselves, then an electric, uh, a magnetic current can flow. And I thought about that alignment, and I thought about aligning with this whole idea, and the reason God's had me teach on foundational, like the Bible is the word of God. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. It's the word of God. And you say, well, what about the telephone game? Can it, can it be changed and altered by man? It could be, but here's the good news. The Holy Spirit didn't let it. He protected the Old and New Testament and preserved it. The same one who authored it also has preserved it. He's better than any librarian. A librarian would be adamant. I went to a library and I put the book in the wrong place. Son, that is not where the book goes. And, you know, it's like it's, they just, you know, and it was like one book over. It's like, no. And, and, and I, you know, Friday night I was going to do a teaching and I was going to quote uh, Winston Churchill. And I read on this that at Harvard School he got up and said, never, never, never give up. I thought, no, that's not right. It was Herod's school where he went in 1888 boarding school. And in 1941, it wasn't just that was the only part of his speech. It was a 22-minute speech. And he said, never, never, never give in. And it had to do with a specific thing at a specific time with a specific people. But people took it and altered it. I can't really use it. I could say never give in. But it actually, I mean, there are coffee mugs and posters and, you know, things like that. People get vanity plates, never give up, and all that stuff. And it's good, uh, but that's not what he said. But I'll tell you what is good. The word of God is what it says. And Jesus is who he says he is. And the kingdom cannot be shaken. And his throne is forever and ever. And the word of God is true. Hallelujah, right? Come on, you ought to rejoice. There's some kind of permanence in the midst of all this randomness and chaos. We can get up there and say, God, you are the solid rock. When the stupid flood hit our church, the building stood. The, yeah, the windows broke because their, their, their material is, is such that, you know, a, a, a big log, a big uh, cottonwood tree parked over there in the corner of our building. I remember all the silt in here, but we cleaned it out. We, we wiped off the ceiling with bleach and water to get rid of the, the mildew and the mold. And um, we reclaimed the, our territory. There are people in here. You've been hurt in life. You've gone through things. You went through doubts. You went through d distraction. You went into temptation. You backed, some of you backslid for a while. Here you are. Here you are. God's brought you back. And here you are fixing your eyes on Jesus. And here I am getting ready to finish. <laughs> what does getting ready to finish mean for Pastor Jeff? We've got another 45 minutes. <laughs> what does it mean when you say, let's stand and let's get ready to dismiss? Maybe another 18 minutes. <laughs> but Deb Cook pointed out that when Peter said, in conclusion, 
Then there were something like 30 verses after that. Simon, <laughs> say this with me. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. And there's laid up for me a reward. And I'll close with Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. This 11-year-old had faith. Dela had faith. I walked in and Dela's mom was there. She had a bandage. I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this because it has such an impact on me. I went there to minister and be Pastor Jeff, you know. But I went, my takeaway was so, I was so fueled by somebody's courage and faith and God's goodness on her. Uh, it meant so much to me. When she was temporarily paralyzed, she took her hand and held it up while we were worshiping. While some people were just standing around with their arms crossed, she had an arm. She was holding her other arm up, refusing to let the devil best her and taking hold of all that she knew God to be. And um, that's the tribute. That's her testimony. That's her testimony. And it, 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 it showed me uh, the value of having done all to stand, stand. The people... I spoke at my Bible school, and I told the son of the, the, the deceased leader, I said, you know, in addition to the great uh, stimulating theology that I got, the thing I got the most out of this was longevity. And they went, what? In fact, there was a guy in the last service. He's another Californian named, named Cliff, and he was at the meeting. And I preached, and he could have heard a pin drop. And he said, none of these people understood you except the other California guy. I mean, nobody responded. No amens. It was a wonderful thing what I said. I was great preaching. The preaching was way better than their response, just like right, just like right now. But anyway, I wasn't preaching for a response. I was trying to say, I watched this guy stay true all the way to the end. There, I don't have mentors, but I do have examples. I don't even believe in mentorship. I think it's silly. Uh, the way people talk about mentorship. I think it's silly to have accountability partnership when the Bible says they continued to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer. Don't misunderstand me. It is good to have people be accountable to one another. I have a whole layers and layers of accounting in my life. But if it's, if it's I got to have somebody call me to get me out of bed to come to church, although I'm glad Patsy woke me up this morning because I was asleep. <laughs> I didn't have any follow-up. I had the Holy Spirit walk me into the gospel, get me hooked in there, and get me to this point, right? Right? Look at somebody next to you and say, God is not finished with you. Look at somebody else and say, there's more for you to do. Turn around and say to somebody, society needs what you have. Students, your school needs what you have. Don't just... Don't just succumb to the stupid filter, uh, my life is better than your life, social media hype, uh, I went to the park today and with, here's my little dog, its dog costs $1,500 and I, my, the collar costs $1,700 and the leash costs $2,000 and, and the dog and the leash and the collar ran away. Please call, <laughs> right? That's how it ends up. And people send you pictures, and I thought, did this person get a full facelift? No, that's just a filter. It's like, well, aren't they 28 years old? You don't need a filter when you're 28 years old. I'm just over 28. I don't need a filter. And the gospel doesn't need to be filtered, and it doesn't need to be embellished, and it doesn't need to have a bunch of extra, let's load lighter fluid on it and scream and emote. 
uh, unless God has us screaming him out and he's shooting the lighter fluid on us, then great. But just here's where we're in a paradigm. We're in a paradigm where the head of the church is bringing us into an excellent position. And the atoms are lining up. And as they're aligned, the power of the Holy Spirit will flow. Amos says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? And any honest couple in here knows the short circuitry of strife or the benefit and value of harmony. Man, what two of us agree on earth is touching anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. Imagine what can happen if a church had all the atoms lined up. Behold how good and how precious it is when brethren dwell together in unity. We forgive everybody, we're quick to forgive, quick to repent. We prepare our hearts when we come into worship, we prepare our hearts on our giving, we prepare our hearts on our service, and we just, we keep our eyes on Jesus, because this may quite possibly be the end of the end of the age. We could be in the end times where Jesus could be preparing to do the rapture and the second coming in a short period of time. Or it may be 100 years from now. If it's 100 years from now, then let's develop our facilities, build good, build, probably build a school, probably you know, build a new auditorium, whatever God has us do. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, Noah built an ark. It took him 127 years. I'm, I'm cool, whatever. You know, somebody said that pastoring is a young man's game. I heard two people say that. Both of them were wrong. It's, it's not anybody's game. It's a responsibility and a call, irrespective of age, ethnicity, gender, uh, all that stuff. God has a plan, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Look, if you're not a Christian, none of this fits you till you respond to Jesus. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So today, if you're here and you're like, you're searching, get out of agnosticism, get out of atheism, get out of the dismissive uh, kind of uh, mental circles, and just surrender your life to Jesus. Just receive, just trust him. Just believe on him. Just, just trust him. Like, like, like Bob Dylan said, you're gonna have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. And uh, you know, I think John Lennon retorted, well, serve yourself. That didn't work out for him. But I'll tell you, when you submit to the Lord and trust him, you get your life on that solid rock, God will help you to overcome like Dela, like the 11-year-old girl, like so many people I know in this house who are overcoming. Let's all stand up on our feet. There, I'm done. Hallelujah. That was, hey, I'm getting done before a quarter till. You have time to fellowship. You have time to run down the, get all your Christmas shopping done. You have time to get an enchilada combination platter. And you have time to get rest and then come back for the Christmas production tonight at 7 o'clock. I want you to lift up your hands toward heaven and say, I'm planted on a solid rock. My name's recorded in heaven. Jesus is Lord of my life. I do not fail the test because Christ lives big in me. I am more than a conqueror. I am an oak of righteousness. I'm mule kicking my way through life. I'm a gritty individual planted in a solid church following a resurrected Savior. My message is the gospel of Jesus. I'm a prayer warrior. I'm a Bible reader. I'm a doer of the word.
and I go out with joy. I'm led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills break out before me and the trees of the fields clap their hands.